The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Ecclesia, if you are like me, the past couple weeks, consuming news, it's been a heavy couple of weeks. Maybe you've walked around with a heavy heart. I had the news on at home in my living room, and my three-year-old was running around in the living room. And I try not to have the news on when he's around, but this time I did. And Jet, who just turned three in August, he looks at me and he says, Mommy, all the buildings are broken. And I said, I know, Jet, all the buildings are broken. And he said, but somebody will fix them, right? And I said, I don't know, Jet. I don't know if somebody will fix them. And he said, well, what they really need is a cement truck. And I said, yeah, Jet, that's one of a lot of things that Gaza needs right now. And it occurred to me that my three-year-old's entire worldview is building buildings with Legos and blocks, smashing them down, and fixing them. And the other part of his world is trucks. So my little three-year-old son constructed a narrative by listening to the news of what was going on, and that was his narrative. There are broken buildings, they need to be fixed, we need a cement truck. And I think all of us are actually doing that right now. We're taking our worldview, what we know, and we're creating a narrative about what's going on. And for many of us, we've realized the past couple weeks that our narratives have been wrong, that we have been wrong, or perhaps that we just have not known enough and we've had to expand our narratives to learn about what is true right now. The last time I was up here, I was in my third trimester, and I got to walk through that with y'all. And on August 30th, I gave birth to Sunny Blue Graham. And now you know that um, he was actually born on the blue moon, which was a full moon. And now you know that I did not have a middle name the day of. <laughs> so we had to fill out the birth certificate and we had been struggling with the middle name. And my husband just randomly says, what about blue, since he's born on a blue moon? And what I immediately thought about was Beyonce is coming to town soon. <laughs> and her daughter's name is Blue Ivy. So I immediately said, yes. <laughs> I love it. Another fun side note, this is how I was able to convince my family it was a family name, is that my grandfather's second or third cousin is Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon. So it's kind of a family name, a bit of a stretch. So I'm being wheeled two hours after birth onto the elevator, and my husband is bringing all of my luggage. I packed for about 10 days. I brought a curling iron and, th and three tubes of mascara, as you do when you're giving birth. And we're on this elevator with all my luggage, I'm acknowledging that it's ridiculous, but I have this two-hour-old baby in my hands, and nothing else seems to matter. 
And his body is warm and his head is fuzzy. His back is all hairy. He's sleeping and I feel like the luckiest person on the planet. And I'm in this elevator and the elevator doors open and a man on a stretcher hooked up to oxygen, probably in his late 90s, is rushed on to the elevator as me and this newborn are wheeled out. And in that moment, I was remembered, I was reminded of the preciousness that is life, that as new life is coming in, old life is on its way out. And it felt so beautiful and cruel. And I wondered, is that man's family on their way to the hospital now? Do they know what's going on? Does he have family? Will there be anyone there tonight if he doesn't make it? And as I looked at my newborn baby, I said to my husband, that day is going to come for him too. And if my prayers are answered, I won't be there. He will outlive me. And who's going to be at his bedside? And I started to cry, and my husband said, Erica, all that happened was an elevator door opened. And I said, so much more just happened. Listen to me. But it's true. Life is precious. In that moment, I was reminded it is fleeting and precious and cruel and beautiful. And my love for my child is not unique, although it feels like it is. There are mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles around the world that love their own as much as I love mine. And in times of war, we seem to act as though that's not true. We act as though our love for our family is somehow more unique. The Sermon on the Mount, and more specifically, the Beatitudes, which is the series that we're in right now, it speaks to this reality that all life is precious in a beautiful way. One of my favorite memories of hearing this sermon was in northern Israel with Ecclesia. We traveled to Israel and also to the West Bank to meet with Israelis and Palestinians. Some of y'all were on that trip with me here today. And I asked our photographer, Kirby, for two photos for the moment where Pastor Chris stood on the mountain of Beatitude, which is exactly where Jesus was said to have delivered this sermon. And in the dead of night, in northern Israel, Pastor Chris read the Beatitudes to us. Thank you, Kirby, for that photo. There's another uh, photo from that night that Kirby also took, and it was of the night sky as we stood under the stars in Israel, hearing scripture from Pastor Chris. And that scripture begins like this, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10 reads, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've been assigned to structure my sermon around that beatitude, but we're going to read them all because my goal for myself, and perhaps you too, is that we can memorize the beatitudes by the end of this series. 
So we're gonna focus on blessed are the poor in spirit, but read them all. Jesus continues, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I think of this word blessed, or even the word blessed, I think it's often misused today. When I use the word blessed, it's often because I got something that I want or need or something that others want, and we call that blessed. But in this sermon, Jesus calls the exact opposite blessed. He says, blessed are the meek, the hungry, the mourning. Blessed are not the rich in spirit, but the poor in spirit. We don't use the word blessed in that way. In fact, when I was teaching high school, and I've actually told this story before in a sermon, so I apologize if this is a repeat for you, but it was the perfect story for this scripture. Um, When I was teaching high school, my husband was playing football for the Houston Texans, and it was such a fun year because after a game, I would come into the classroom and my class would celebrate with me. Sometimes they'd be excited about a touchdown that he had. Other times, a student, we'll call him Christopher, he'd say, Miss Graham, he should have caught that. I'd say, Christopher, sit down. It was so fun, and one of my favorite memories of that season in my life was my husband was supposed to get a second contract, and that could have been with the Houston Texans or another team. And if it was with another team, that meant that I probably wouldn't finish out the year at that school. And I'll never forget the day we found out that we were gonna be staying in Houston, and to me, that meant staying in that classroom. And I came in to the classroom and celebrated with my students that I got to stay in Houston. And they were adorably excited for me. In fact, a student, the same student, we'll call him Christopher, he said, Miss Graham, are you going to buy a Maserati? I said, Christopher, sit down. But I'll never forget that day, one of my students, we'll call her Maria, she came up to me and she said, Miss Graham, congratulations. What you need to know about Maria is Maria had a really hard life. She did not have health insurance. She had obstacles at the age of 14 that I could never even imagine. And she said, Miss Graham, congratulations. God must really love you. And I remember not knowing what to say because my fear was that she thought we had a God 
that somehow rewarded me because he loved me and didn't reward her. And I think that's how the word blessed gets weaponized in our culture today. We think that if we are blessed, that we earned it. I didn't earn this. I happened to date a college tight end before Taylor Swift made that cool. I happened to date a college tight end that went into the NFL, and I did nothing to earn that. And she looked at me like God loved me, and I worried what that meant, and I worried what she believed about herself and others. And I knew in my heart, God does not love me more. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the rich in spirit. He specifically sides with those on the margins. That's why this sermon is powerful and true. Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he talks about how this sermon does not read, blessed are those who mourn, or blessed are those poor in spirit because they are poor in spirit. It just says, blessed are those poor in spirit. And I think that's important because this word blessed is not an if-then. If you are poor in spirit, then you are blessed. It simply says, blessed are those poor in spirit. And it's a reminder that the Beatitudes are not prescriptive. They're not telling us that we have to be poor in spirit and mourning and meek and persecuted. They're not telling us to do those things. But what they do say is, if that is you, Jesus sees you and he calls you blessed and declares that you too have access to the kingdom of heaven, perhaps even especially you. You know, the Gospel of Luke makes this beatitude really clear. The Gospel of Luke reads, blessed are the poor, period. And there's not much debate about what poor means. But the Beatitudes read, blessed are those poor in spirit, which opens up some debate. Pastor Sean wrote in an email to me this week, he said, poor in spirit does not mean weak in faith. It is closer to the one who has been humbled by life. And we're doing this series around a book called When the World Breaks by Jason Adam Miller. And in that book, Jason talks about meeting his hero, which was a Benedictine monk in Ireland. And Jason is a pastor, and he kind of has this idea that surely a Benedictine monk who just studies and meditates and prays all day, surely he is more spiritually rich, opposite of spiritually poor. And when talking to this monk, his hero, the monk said this, he said, Jason, I didn't become a monk because I'm so spiritual. I became a monk because I realized that while my soul longs to pray, I'm very bad at it. And I don't know how to pray without a community. In this moment, Jason is assuming this monk is spiritually rich or somehow has more access to God. And he replies, I'm a monk because I'm a horrible prayer. And it's this paradox that is the Beatitudes, that Pastor Christabout talks about two truths being true at once. It's this paradox that says, 
I'm a monk because I'm horrible at prayer. That is how God has blessed me. It's often in the weakness that we find a blessedness, though it's hard to observe when we're in that reality. My friend Elizabeth is an advocate for mental health and OCD. She started something called the Peace of Mind Foundation, and she herself has struggled with OCD her whole life. And she talks about OCD in a way that I've always admired. She said, I do not believe God wants me to struggle with OCD. I don't. But I have found purpose in my pain. And I think that's what the Beatitudes do. They say, I don't want you to be poor. I don't want you to be meek or persecuted. But you are, and you are still blessed in that. Perhaps even more so because the kingdom of God is near. In those instances, even more. Recovery communities know this paradox well. I myself am a 12-stepper. I've talked in older sermons about an addiction to a prescription medication. And Richard Rohr says this about those in recovery programs, and really for all of us. He says, we suffer to get well. We surrender to win. We die to live. We give it away to Cupid. This counterintuitive wisdom will forever be resisted as true. It will be denied and avoided until it is forced upon us by some reality over which we are powerless. And if we are honest, we are all powerless to the presence of full reality. I love this quote because it speaks to the paradox that is the Beatitudes, finding blessedness in pain. And Richard Rohr says, we suffer to get well. We don't hold those two together, but the Bible does, and Jesus especially does. You know, the Good Samaritan is a story about a man who travels from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on that path, he gets slaughtered and nearly beaten to death. And three people pass this man. One is a priest who society might consider spiritually rich, and the priest walks on by. He does not help the man, perhaps because he had religious things to do. The next person that passes him by is a Levite, who would be considered to have deacon status in that community, also considered spiritually rich. And he walks on by without helping the man. And finally, that's a great ringtone, actually. <laughs> finally comes the Samaritan. And the Samaritan, what you need to know, we call it the Good Samaritan, so we know the end of this story. But in that time, Samaritans were despised. And the Samaritan, Jesus, purposely makes the hero of the story. In fact, we call this story the Good Samaritan, and that would have been a paradox or oxymoron in itself, because in Jewish communities, Samaritans were not considered good. And Jesus said, not only were they good, but they were blessed in this story. If he were telling these stories today to us, he probably say that that boss you can't stand is the good Samaritan. 
If he was telling it to Israelis today, he might say, the good Palestinian. This story challenges us to whoever we define as an other, Jesus calls them not only good, but blessed in the Beatitudes. So I'm gonna end this sermon today with some Beatitudes that I wrote for today. And this is inspired by Nadia Boltz Weber, a Lutheran preacher who once wrote her own Beatitudes and I got this inspiration from her. And I would challenge you as a creative writing prompt, if you're one of those types of people, take five minutes and write your own Beatitudes today. It took me about five minutes and I think it's a way to remember that while this is an ancient sermon and an ancient text, this truth is also alive right here today. Blessed are the teachers with less funding this year, trading a shower for dry shampoo so that they can show up early to help Johnny with the quadratic formula. Blessed is the construction worker building in 100 degree heat with sweat on their brow and an empty Gatorade bottle by their work boot. Blessed are the terrified in Gaza and the traumatized in Israel. Blessed is the parent at home with spit up on their shoulder and baby shark repeating on the Alexa as they shoot cherry Tylenol and grape ibuprofen into a tiny sick mouth every four to six hours. Blessed is the trans woman, the DACA student, the bulimic, the family crossing the border, the soccer star, the addicted, the Harvard graduate, and the high school dropout. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so it is true for us too, Ecclesia. The kingdom of heaven is ours, even when, especially when, we don't feel like it is true. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.